Welcome to another inspirational message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Open your words, if you would, and let's get ready. And while you are getting ready with your word, let me tell you something. The devil knows. That's the title of the message today. The devil knows. Oh, why in the world would we talk about that? Because, you know, it is a reality. In just a moment, I'll tell you what he knows. All right? And then I'll tell you something he doesn't know and something he's trying to find out. As you're turning to the book of Romans... In the New Testament, chapter 8, let me, uh, let me read one verse out of 2 Corinthians to set the tone for this morning. In 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, verse 5, the apostle Paul wrote, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. You ever been in a place where you had no rest? You ever been in a place to where when you got somewhere, it was just, you know, I mean, it was just on and on, you know. Uh, whether you're arriving at a new point in life, a new chapter in life, or at a new place. You know, uh, whenever we got to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were troubled, the Apostle Paul says. We were troubled on every side. Listen to his description of the trouble that they had faced. Outside were conflicts. That means there were people on the outside that weren't really necessarily being real kind to us, and they, they, they were causing trouble. So outside, there were pressures on the outside. There were conflicts, and inside were fears. It's amazing that the Apostle Paul would say that, that I had such pressure on the outside, and I had pressure on the inside. We had no rest. Doesn't it seem like that sometimes, that there's pressure on the outside and pressure on the inside, and what we're looking for is just a little peace, just a little peace of mind, just a little opportunity. To, to, to not be so pressed. Yeah. Well, that was the Apostle Paul's testimony when he was writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, and let me tell you today, the devil knows. What does the devil know? Well, the devil knows that he can never make God stop loving you. The devil knows that he cannot get God to quit helping you. The devil knows that he can never get God to give up on you. And he has tried. He has tried. In fact, the book of Revelation says uh, and, and calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. He accused them night and day before the Lord. You know, the devil knows that he can never get God to quit loving you. He also knows he can't get God to stop doing good things for you. But what the devil is banking on is that he can find a way to get you to quit on God. That's what he's trying to do. The devil knows he can't get God to quit on you, but he's trying to find a way to get you to quit on God. He's trying to find a way, if he can, to get you to a place where you're frustrated, irritated, aggravated, and you, for all practical purposes, stop doing the things that God wants you to do. That he some way 
could cause a gap and bring a division. And the devil has been in relentless pursuit of separating men and women from God since the Garden of Eden. The attacks of the devil against the people of God and against the people that God loves, which are every one of us. God so loved the world. The persistent and relentless attacks of the devil have been ongoing since the Garden of Eden. It's, it's very evident. And the devil will stop at nothing. Uh, no, I'm, I'm amazed at some of the things he pulls out of his sack of tricks. He will stop at nothing trying to separate us from God. Or then if, if he can't, if we get to the place where we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, then he's going to try his best to separate us from the blessings of God just like he did in the Garden of Eden. He's going to, uh, it, it ended up that Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. Why? Because sin separated them. The sin that the devil tricked them into doing separated them from the blessings that God had intended for their lives. The devil's used lies and false accusations and he's planted seeds of doubt in people's minds and uh, distrust uh, between one another in families and communities and churches and nations not trusting one another you know uh, you know we, we even have uh, you know a, a program called mad in the united states and 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 russia mutually assured destruction who would come up with mutually assured destruction? Who would come up with an idea that, that you know, I'm, I'm so afraid of you and I don't like you and I'm so different than you and, 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 and I'm not going to let you win and I'm not going to let you, you know, uh, live in peace so much so that if you come at me, I'm going to destroy both of us. Where does that come from? That comes from a mind of some insane demon. Wow. The devil has done his best to create fear, to foster fear and frustration and worry and shame and, and all types of anxiety disorders, trying to captivate and control the minds of men and women in his attempts to get them to blame God for their problems or to blame God for the world's problems or to have nothing to do with God because, because this world has gone crazy. You know, uh, it's, it's just amazing. The devil looks for ways that he can cause pain that he can bring loss that he can uh, make someone angry or mad or that he can trick you into doing something and then shame you for doing it. Uh, it, it it's just amazing you know uh, the devil is doing his best to make us regret our lives it's amazing that the devil is trying to push you away from God or pull you away from God He's trying to push you away from God by creating a distrust so that you separate yourself from God. He's trying to pull you away from God by offering you things that look better, that look sweeter, that look more fun, that look more prosperous, that have a greater opportunity. I mean, he's doing his best to either pull or push people away from God. One of the favorite tactics of the devil, by the way, is to cause separation between friends and amongst family. One of the greatest enemies, one of the greatest tactics, one of the greatest things the devil has been able to use is that division in families creates division in communities. And, 
and uh, you know, uh, then trying to get one side to act ungodly toward the other. Trying to get one side to, 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 to offend the other. So that both sides, hopefully, will start acting ungodly. That's the trick of the devil. You see, the devil cannot separate people, by the way, from people or, you know, uh, people from God unless he can trick at least one person into working for him. Think about this. The devil will never be able to separate you from your family, you from your community, you from your church, or even nation against nation. The devil will never be able to separate me and you unless he can get one of us to start working for him. Unless he can get one of us and trick one of us into separating with him, going with him. Either feeling pushed away or being pulled away. The devil knows ungodliness disrupts the flow of God's blessing. And it does. Being ungodly in your home or with your spouse or toward your children or, or you know, just being ungodly separates us from the flow of God's blessing in our lives. And we see this played out over and over and over in the Word of God. Throughout history and, and even in the lives of some of our greatest Bible heroes, we see these things happening. You know, uh, you know Adam and Eve. I mean, come on now. <laughs> you know, they were separated from the blessings of God, separated from one another, okay? separated you know, from God, from eternal life. By their ungodliness. How about Job? How about Job? You know, when, when God couldn't get the devil to stop loving Job, he tried to get Job to stop loving God. Boy, there's a picture-perfect scenario. When God would not quit on Job, the devil thought I'd get Job to quit on him. And when, when the devil couldn't get Job to stop loving God and curse God and quit on God, the devil went to Job's wife and started trying to get Job's wife to get Job to quit on God. Job's wife even said to him, listen, why don't you just curse God and commit suicide? Wow. The sons of Isaac... And Rebecca, you remember them, Jacob and Esau, they fought. One was, you know, uh, here, here Jacob was ungodly, and it separated these two brothers. The tribes of Israel, you remember how their brothers became ungodly and sold one of their brothers into slavery to the Egyptians. The scribes and the Pharisees in the days of Jesus, Jesus called them hypocrites. They were being ungodly. They had a form of godliness, but they were being ungodly, and it separated them from other groups. And, and, and not, you know, they, they weren't just children of God. They were in separate little groups all over Jerusalem and all over Israel, and one didn't like the other one, and they fussed and they fought, and they were just being ungodly and therefore separated from the blessings of God. Even the greatest blessing, Jesus Christ, the Son of Almighty, the Messiah, walking in their midst, and they were separated from Him. That wasn't God separating people. That was the devil separating people from God. 
he was finding people to work with him. The congregation in the first church in Jerusalem, you remember what happened to them? Everything was going along good. It was the first church. The apostles were, the, were, were, were in the leadership and everybody was doing well. And all of a sudden there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Because one of them looked like they were getting more food than the other one. And they caused a division in the church. Why? Because the devil finally found somebody to work with him. The church in Antioch. The Bible says at the church in Antioch that there was no small dissension between even Barnabas and Paul so that they split, went different ways, and the church ended up having to side with one of them and blessed Paul, and we never hear from Barnabas again. How about the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul? All the persecutions that he went through. What are we talking about? Remember what we're talking about now. If, if the devil cannot get God to quit on you, and he can't. He's tried, but the devil knows that God is not going to give up on you. What the devil is trying to do is to get you to give up on God. Whether it's because he put me out of the garden, or whether it's because, you know, my brother treated me wrong, or if it's because some sickness came to my body, because I lost some money, because things didn't work out like I thought they would work out, because my spouse doesn't love me, because my spouse is trying to get me to commit suicide, or because of the persecutions, because every time I, 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 I talk about Jesus, somebody beats me or stones me or drags me out of the town, puts me in jail. Or because there's a thorn in my flesh and I feel like God could take care of it if he would take care of it. But all I can hear from him is his grace is sufficient. The devil is trying his best. You see, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us before God day and night. But what we also need to realize is that he accuses God to us day and night. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. God could do something about this. God could fix this. He's trying to get people to give up on God. He's trying to get people to stop working for God because he can't get God to quit working for us. It's been a long, tough road for God and for those who refuse to deny him, who refuse to blame him, those who refuse to leave their place to be pushed or pulled away from God. It's been a long, tough road for everybody. In the spring of A.D. 58, back about, you know, 1975 years ago or so, okay? Give or take a few. In the spring of A.D. 58, the Apostle Paul was finishing up his third missionary journey. And he was in the city of Corinth. He was in Corinth, finishing up his third missionary journey. He wanted to go back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, but there was something burning in his heart. The inspiration of the Holy Spirit was on him. And so he wrote a rather lengthy letter. The letter he wrote 
was going to a church that he had never been to before. It was going to a city that he had never visited before. It was going to the church in Rome. Now, the Apostle Paul was hoping to get to Rome one day, and indeed he did, okay? Probably wasn't like he expected because he kind of went there in chains. But he was hoping that he would get to Rome after he had been back for the Feast of Passover. But he wrote them a lengthy letter, which we now have as the book of Romans. And in this letter, the intent of this letter was, of course, for the Apostle Paul to encourage the church there. Why? Because this was a very difficult time. It was a very tough time in the world. There was an emperor named Nero who had been in power for about four years so far. And Nero ended up being the worst, the most ungodly emperor ever. And uh, persecution of Christians was just swelling. And it was going to just shortly come to the place to where these people, these Christians, these believers in Rome were going to be so exposed. Some of them were going to be taken by Nero and put on popsicle sticks, stakes, and put up in a garden and set on fire so that they could light his garden. This was difficult times, times of great persecution, times of great danger. And the apostle Paul was writing to the church there, encouraging them. We now have the book of Romans. If there's two two books that you want to read in the Bible, number one, read the book of John. Because John will tell you all about Jesus. He knew Jesus, you know, from a different perspective. I love the book of John. Number two, read the book of Romans. The book of Romans is the heart of the Bible. It's the book of Romans that, that, that shares with us and gives us uh, the doctrines of Jesus Christ. And so here, the Holy Spirit is going to use the Apostle Paul to give us the heart the heart of which, you know, uh, for which every church, every New Testament since church since that time has followed these doctrines. And, and uh, you know, uh, it, it, it was a very difficult time. And it was while he was at Corinth, as I said, that he was inspired to write this lengthy letter. And Paul wrote, uh, intending to convey these essential doctrines of the church, which were given to him by God. And... He wanted to encourage the believers in Rome to continue the pursuit of Christ in the midst of a world gone crazy. And that's what it does for us today as well. It encourages us, the book of Romans encourages us to continue, to continue to pursue Jesus Christ and the things of Christ in the midst of the world we live in today, which is not as bad as the world they lived in. You know, this is not the worst the world has ever had it, okay? Uh, we, we don't live in, I mean, we, we live in some tough times. But let me tell you, times were really tough. No one here today that I know of is going to be hiding in your closet today to keep from being stuck on a popsicle stick by somebody who hates Christians. Well, the Emperor Nero was a madman. This is certainly not the first letter that the Apostle Paul had written uh, but it holds the first place. It is first in order uh, of his epistles. 
right after Acts, Romans. Why? Because it holds a primary place in the, uh, in the sharing of the doctrines of Christ. And Romans, as I said, is called the heart of the Bible. Uh, and and uh, 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 remember our title, The Devil Knows? Y'all remember that? Okay. The devil knows that he can't make God quit loving you. But what he's going to try to do is get you to quit loving God. That's his hope. All right. With that in mind, let's read Romans chapter 8. We'll begin in verse 26. The apostle Paul is sharing his heart with a people he's never seen, a place he's never been. And he's hoping that this church that's right in the center, right in the middle of the, of, 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 of the worst place you could be as a Christian, as a church. You know, I don't know what city we would point to today, but this was the absolute worst city in the world to be a Christian in that period. And he's writing to them. He says in verse 26, we'll read a few verses and then, uh, uh, forgive me for reading so many, and then we'll share some commentary with the last few verses we'll read. Verse 26, likewise the Spirit, he says, also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. What does that mean? That means that sometimes there's such a burden in our heart that we don't even know how to voice our hope, our prayer, our desire to God. And sometimes the best we can do is just, just you know, almost like moaning with groanings, not, not even words, just, you know. But God says the Holy Spirit is right there with us in that moment so that, verse 27, now he who searches the hearts, talking about God, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. God understands your groanings. He understands your crying out to him. He understands your pain. He understands your loss. He understands your trauma. Even when you can't voice it, even when you can't put it into words, the Holy Spirit is with you. And God knows the mind of the Holy Spirit that he is there guiding you according to the will of God. Verse 28, and we know, he says, that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose, that's an anchor. That should hold us fast. That should keep us in a place to where trials and tribulations and persecutions and pressures on the inside, fears on the inside and pressures on the outside and conflicts should not be pulling us or pushing us away from God because God wins in the end and we know that all things will work together. Even the trauma, the tragedy, the pain, the loss, the fear, the worry, the frustration, the irritation, the aggravation, even the divisions we see in families, in communities, in churches, in nations, yet God will have a final say. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he foreknew you. This is not some strange doctrine of predestination, but let me tell you, those people who will call upon the name of the Lord to save their souls, who will allow that Holy Spirit to guide them, those whom, who, who, who have been called according to God's purpose, God knew you. He knew you when you were in your mother's womb, like Psalms 139 said. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. He knew you before you came out of the womb. He knit you together, and this God that foreknew us, he also predestined. That means he had a plan for us before. 
before we were ever born. He has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many. You know, God is determined. He is already predetermined. That's why the devil can't get Him to give up on you, because God has predetermined a destiny for you. He has already decided that He's going to work with you and work on you and work through you. He's going to bless you, and He's going to bring you into the image of His dear Son. You know, it, it, it may take another million years for me. I don't know. But I tell you what, He's not going to give up. He's not going to give up. He foreknew us and he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The universe belongs to us. All things are ours. One day we shall see it and know it as it is today. God sees it today as an ever-settled subject, as a finished work. He sees you in Christ. He sees you complete. You see you different. He sees you through the blood of Christ. He sees you through the finished work of Christ. He did not spare his own son. Do you think he's not going to finish this? Do you think he's not committed? Do you think he's not going to continue to use every God power he has to bring you to completion? Verse number 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to start messing with you? Who's stupid enough to start accusing you and messing with you? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justified. Listen, you're not perfect. You're not going to be perfect. And you're never going to know anybody perfect until you leave this life and get to your next one. Okay? And then you're going to see everybody is perfect or have been perfected. I am not perfect, but I am perfected in Christ. Who shall bring anything to the charge? Who shall accuse you before God of anything? It is God who has justified you through the blood of his own son. Who is he who condemns who's going to condemn you who is it that's condemning you who is it listen it's christ who died for you and furthermore jesus is the one that was raised from the dead for you who is even at the right hand of god who also makes intercession for us now let me let me stop right there for just a moment and tell you that's god's part what we just read is god's part god can do his part Okay, that's God's part. God is telling you there's nobody going to condemn you before me. There's nobody that's going to accuse you before me. There's nobody that's going to, you know, bring any charge against you. I have justified you through the blood of my son, and nobody's going to break the barrier of my love to you. Nobody's going to make me give up on you. Nobody's going to make me quit on you. I gave my son, and if I gave my son for your sin, how much more? shall I give you freely all things that belong to him. Wow. That's God's part. But you and I both know that in this life we are in a partnership. What's our part? The devil knows he cannot make God give up on you. God has declared he will never give up on you. I will never fail you. I'll never forsake you, he said. But what the devil is trying to find out is how much you can take before you quit on God. The Apostle Paul is writing here 
to a people he's never been to that are, that are in a mess and in trouble and, 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 and in, in future, many of them are going to be martyred for their faith. And he understands that. They're going to be persecuted, going to be jailed. They're going to be, you know, of the great tribulation. He understands that. He understands that some of them are going to face death. He understands that some of them are going to be enticed. Some of them are going to be pushed. Some of them are going to be pulled. Some of them are going to be, you know, uh, uh, bribed to deny Christ. The devil knows that God will never stop loving us. But what is it that will keep us from loving him? Tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? Well, all those things which came to Job or Joseph or Peter or James, John, Mary, Paul. What can stop us? What can separate us from the love of God? Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. This is our part. God's already made his declaration. This is our part. Okay? Now all day long we're being persecuted, uh, the, the apostle Paul wrote, like sheep to slaughter. But yet, in all these things, we are super conquerors, super overcomers is what that means. We are super overcomers through Christ who loved us. Okay? We're more than conquerors. The challenge, you know, is to us, not to God. God's not going to give up on us. The challenge is, are we going to quit on Him? We've been made more than conquerors, you know? That's what 1 John says in chapter 4 and chapter 5, you know. It says, hey, little children, you've overcome. You know, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And then he continues, uh, uh, John writing in, in his old age uh, in, in, in chapter 5, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and, and this is the victory that overcomes the world. It's, it, it's our faith. It's even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? If you do, then you are an overcomer. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you are an overcomer. You can overcome. It's your part to overcome. In fact, do you know that, that in the seven churches of Revelation that many of us just visited, there were 30 of us from the church that just went and to every one of those churches, uh, 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 seven churches, and we stood there and every message said he that overcomes 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 who's he talking about talking about you overcomers you are overcomers okay look what verse 38 says the next verse in Romans for I am persuaded Paul said now remember God's part he's not going to give up on us he's already declared he's not going to give up on us okay now the apostle Paul is getting to to, to mankind's part okay we are who are we we are more than overcomers. We are more than conquerors. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Well, that's pretty good. When faced with death, I'm not going to quit. When I'm faced with a busy and a blessed life, I'm still not going to quit. I'm not going to quit on God if I'm blessed with a gazillion dollars, if I become the next, you know, uh, trillionaire. Not going to quit on God, in death or in life. You know, not even if an angel visits me and tells me I need to quit on God. Not going to do it. Not going to give up. 
No current problem, no fear of the future. Nothing's going to rob me of my victory in Christ. I am more than an overcomer. Verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am more than a conqueror in Christ. It's not here talking about the love that God loves me with. It's talking about the love that I love him. I'm not going to be separated from the love of God, which I have found in Christ. Not just a love that he won't give up on me, but a love that I love him with. I loved him because he first loved me. And here it's my responsibility. This Redeemer this shepherd, this friend, Jesus Christ, this son of Jehovah, I am determined that nothing is going to take his place. Nothing is going to take his place. Shall tribulation? No. Tribulation is not going to bother God. It's aimed at me. Shall persecution? No. Persecution is is not aimed at God, it's aimed at me. It's aimed at moving me. Persecution is not aimed at changing God's mind about me. Famine, famine, all the things he names there, shall tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness, sword, peril, none of those things affect God. They are all aimed at impacting me, at impacting you. Shall tribulation, make you give up on God problems we're talking about problems in life going through problems going through problems is going to make you quit loving God quit working for him persecution how about when people persecute you will that make you shut up will that make you stop will that make you quit famine how about if things get a little bit hard and you and you end up not having enough to meet the need is that going to make you blame God, hate God, start cursing Him and, you know? Nakedness, that doesn't affect God. It affects me. What if I have nothing? Peril, sword. In all these things, I am more than a conqueror through Him who loved me. Nothing is going to separate me from loving Him nothing today i have three things and tell you what you gain uh, what can you do to maintain your victory in christ number one let me ask you to consider and compare you can find this in the eighth chapter of romans consider and compare romans 8 verse 18 for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Consider and compare. Consider what you're going through and compare it to what he has offered us, what he has promised us. It pales in comparison. The sufferings of this present time, whether it's famine or peril or nakedness or sword or, or, or whether it's tribulation, whether it's blessing or cursing, whatever goes on in our life today, Listen, consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Wow. Whenever you get in a tough time and you wonder if God loves you, when you get in a tough time and, you, and, you, and, and you're wondering, you know, uh, you know, is he going to quit on me or did he quit on me? Where did he go? Oh. 
consider and compare. Number two, hope and persevere. In Romans, the eighth chapter, verse 25, I would encourage you to read the whole book of Romans, but at least read the eighth chapter all the way through. Read it with you in mind. Read it because you know God has a part and you know you have a part. Verse 25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Continue to hope. Sometimes all you have left is hope. 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 Why so downcast, O my soul, put your hope in God? Keep your hope in God. Don't let the devil take your hope away from you. Put your hope in God. Hope of a better day. Hope of a, of a better nation. Hope of a better community. Hope of a better church. Hope of a better family. Hope of a better friend. Hope of a better workplace. Put your hope in God. When you have nothing else, put your hope in God. And then persevere. You know, hope gives us strength. Hope, the Bible says, is the anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast. It holds us steady. It gives us strength. Don't lose your hope and keep on going. Persevere. And then the third thing you'll find in Romans, the 10th chapter, is pray. Pray. What does that mean? Well, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that concept of being saved does not necessarily mean that, that, you know, my soul will be saved. This salvation is a complete work of God. It means that he'll help you when you're down. It means he'll take you to heaven when you die. It means that when you call upon his name, he'll show up and push your enemies away from you. It means that he'll give you peace of mind. He'll give you joy in your heart. It means that he will help you in the midst of every situation to overcome in the situation, to get victory in the situation, and to gain victory over the situation. Salvation means that he will make you whole. How do you get that? You call upon the name of the Lord. You pray. Don't forget that when the devil comes to you, he is trying his best to push you away from God and the blessings of God. God and the things God has for you. God, a relationship with God, and a relationship with others. To where you are not the one that's being ungodly, that's walked away, that's been pushed away, that's been pulled away. Refuse to be pushed away from the things God has given you. And refuse to be pulled away from the things He's given you. Both the conflicts from without and the fears from within. You can conquer them both. How? By calling upon the name of the Lord. There's nothing more powerful than you calling upon the name of the Lord. Call upon Him today. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember, the devil's not going to get God to quit on you. Don't let him cause you to quit on God. Thanks again for joining us for another encouraging word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.